0: Listening to This Hong Kong Life, a podcast of stories and conversations with everyday youth across Hong Kong. Every week, we bring you episodes that reflect the unique bilingual nature of our city's culture, sharing the voices and thoughts of young people growing up and living in the city we call home. Hi, I'm Sky from Kelly's Support Group, and today we have our first person who's been nominated onto the show. So I'm happy to welcome Mehek to the show. Hi, Mehek. Hi, it's nice to be here. Yeah, it's really nice to see you. So, who nominated you?
1: So Renee nominated me. She told me about this podcast and we got talking and I just thought it was a really cool opportunity to connect with people in this virtual world right now.
0: That's cool. So tell us a little bit about yourself. Where are you from? What's your connection to Hong Kong?
1: So I was born in Singapore and then I moved to Venezuela and then Chile, then back to Singapore and finally Hong Kong three years ago. So I would say that I'm definitely third culture kid in that um, I've moved around to a lot of places. And I consider myself Singaporean, but I also have, uh, both my parents were born and raised in India, so that's a big part of my heritage. And I speak Mandarin because I've been learning it for uh, 10, 11 years now, but my family speaks fluent Spanish because we were in South America for so long. So a lot of different cultures, uh, and I think that that's facilitated a lot of different like hobbies and things that I'm interested in, in particular like politics and debate and speech and that. So that's kind of what I hope to major in and like hope to spend most of my life focusing on,
0: yeah. And you currently are still in secondary school, correct?
1: Yeah, yeah, I'm in high school. I'm a senior this year.
0: Cool, and so now you're looking at going off to university next year and all of that, right?
1: Yeah, so I'm committed to university, so if hopefully this all calms down, I should start in August, and then that for four years, and then... I don't know what the plan is after that,
0: yeah, I don't know if anybody has any plans right now, but good that you have some sort of plan in place so so you just mentioned like so many different countries that I can barely keep count, so what would you consider home?
1: I think like as cheesy as it is, I would say that like home is kind of what you make of it, so right now, I would find Hong Kong to be more of a home for me than Singapore. If there was a place where I could spend the next year, I would say it would be Hong Kong. And I suspect that the university I go to next year will become home within a year or two, there or two, just because I think the experiences that you have in that place start to cultivate that feeling of belonging. But if there's a place that I feel like I can always return to, it'd probably just be Singapore because of my nationality there and just because I've lived there for so long. And I also really like Singapore in a number of ways. I think it's a very inclusive community. So I feel like I always have a place there, even though I would say I have like numerous different homes around the world yeah
0: yeah you know i'm, I'm looking at you as you're talking mm-hmm. and i hear someone with an american accent i'm seeing somebody who looks south asian and but yet we're here in hong kong and you're <laughs> saying that you speak mandarin and potentially spanish as well so how do you manage to kind of Exist in between all these different languages and cultures.
1: Uh, my Spanish is terrible. <laughs> I speak like one word, but like I would consider my childhood in Venezuela and Chile in South America. So. It's it's definitely something that I think that, like, is anyone in my situation, any third culture kid in all these international schools would struggle with because you can't say, there's no way I could say I'm American, I've never even lived there, Um, but you would think that I am just for my accent and arguably my political values and stuff. But then, of course, the way I look would be Indian and the way I think is, again, possibly Singaporean or possibly Asian values. So I think it's just a matter of, like, in different situations, it calls for different things, but it's also, in my mind, more of a blessing than a curse because it just means that I can really look things from a number of different perspectives I'm not really limited to like one viewpoint and I can look at things from the perspective of like someone from Asia and someone from the west would be very different on a lot of things so it's nice to have that sort of duality and that I can look at things the way I choose to in a different situation and then also just connecting with people in, in a number of different ways it's it's fun to like find connections that I have with people like I was talking to some of the people who go to my university next year and like I'm like one degree of separation away from all of them because I've just like lived in so many countries and gone to so many schools that we're bound to have some mutual friends, which is definitely like a very cool thing. And I think that not everyone gets to experience. So
0: That's actually quite crazy to think about. People that you haven't even met yet at the university that you're going to go to, you already know that there's only one degree of separation. That's quite mad if you think about it. I mean, you mentioned that your parents are originally from India, right? So how does your westernized sort of value system affect your relationship with them when they're obviously more Asian in that sense? So I
1: think my parents are actually very very like forward and progressive thinking um, and that they, they moved from India when they were quite young like their early 20s and they lived in Japan and then all these other places too so they've also kind of become more westernized in their thinking and stuff. I think the clash is actually probably more between my parents and their parents like our grandparents because they are still very indoctrinated into the whole like traditional Indian culture um, especially with like the rise of Indian nationalism um, with Modi and stuff in in place so I think that that's probably more of a clash. Within my own parents and me like there are definitely some cultural differences I mean like beyond superficial things like an accent or like I I don't speak Hindi as well as them I can understand fluently but of course I can't speak it as well Um, beyond that I think that there are some values where we probably disagree but for the most part I think my parents are actually very very open and willing to learn from me as much as i'm willing to learn from them which is a nice dynamic to have and i also have an older sister so between like two v two at worst case scenario so it's okay
0: it's good when you have a sibling that you can sort of you know go against your mom and dad with isn't it (laughs) (laughs) i wish i had a sibling i'm actually an only child so i always imagined somebody else was in my corner you know but it never really happened but that's okay (laughs) i moved on what's your relationship with your sister like
1: me and my sister are like two peas in a pod like we're very very close and i think that that's because through all of the chaos of moving and being in so many different cultures she's one person who's kind of been stable along uh, except for like you know maternal figures in my life she's just like one person who's just always been there for me and i consider her like a big role model in my life in terms of not just like academic achievement but also like the kind of person i want to be very empathetic very kind just very understanding and stuff so she's always like inspiring me and teaching me a lot and it's just like a lot of fun to be around her we of course have like similar values but we also are very different people on surface level in terms of like our interests and stuff so I think that that makes for like good discussions and just like good fun and stuff. Yeah
0: Yeah, a lot of young people that we talk to sometimes will also say that having an older sibling can be a bit of a pressure as well because it's almost like yes they're your role model but at the same time you almost have to live in their shadow or have to live up to have you ever experienced that with your sister?
1: Um I think a little bit in Singapore when like all of my teachers would see me as like my sister's like younger sister and they like expect me to be the same kind of person and to some extent I did fall into that mold but I think like if anything those were like good things because uh, she was a debate captain so I joined just for the sake of like being in her club and it actually turned out to be something that like I stick with today and I really really enjoy so I think it in some ways it kind of opened the door from like my parents and from her I never really felt any pressure to like live up to her standards I think any pressure because she is like far smarter than me so I think any pressure was probably a little bit more internalized but it's still not to the extent where like I'm constantly comparing us especially because we're just such different people that there really isn't a comparative I think.
0: I think some people really struggle to not do that comparison. Like what would you say is something that can really ground yourself so that you don't get to that place where you're comparing yourself?
1: I feel like having like a strong relationship is important to avoiding that kind of comparative like if I wasn't so close to her, if I didn't admire her and, and think of her as like an inspiration in a lot of ways, I probably would feel that way because she is definitely smarter, definitely more accomplished than I am, but because we're so close and because I really like look up to her, I don't think I really feel that envy or jealousy, whereas I can understand why others would not not to say that like I don't feel it at all. I think everyone's human and you always want to achieve more and um, but at the same time, if you want the best for someone that you care about then you don't usually feel that kind of negativity.
0: I really like how you say, like, the foundation is actually building a good relationship, right? Speaking of relationships, you know, um, what do you think is one of the key foundation when you build relationships with people of the opposite sex? Um... <laughs> Specifically, like, boyfriends in your case, or for guys, girlfriends, what do you think is foundational for that?
1: A couple things, I mean, I think, like, just, like, some level of connection in terms of having, like, very basic values i think need to be the same we talked a little bit about this in psych and that like similar people tend to attract and i don't necessarily think that that's true all the time i think that people with different hobbies and like different interests get along well because they teach each other like new things the same way like me and my sister in terms like just hobbies and interests kind of more like surface level stuff are different and even like with my friends i think it's interesting to have those sort of relationships uh, because otherwise i don't think you really grow as much as a person But with that said, like, very basic principles, what you value in life, I feel like those have to be pretty similar in order to build, like, trust and honesty and just, like, some sort of mutual ground,
0: yeah. Cool. I'm just thinking in my head, because it's been a while since I've been in in secondary school and high school. So what does teen relationships look like nowadays?
1: (laughs) I feel like it, uh... It really, it really depends on who is in the relationship. Like, I, there are definitely couples in my school who are very serious and, like, they're very cute. And I think that they make each other better people, they make each other happier, and so in that case, it's very healthy. But of course, like, you have the occasional kind of unhealthy relationship. But even those, I think that they're there for a purpose and they, they help you to get to a healthier relationship and stuff. But uh, it, it really fluctuates from person to person. Some Some are very, very casual and some have been, like, dating for, like, since, like, sixth, seventh grade, so.
0: I always I, I keep thinking, you know, when I was probably your age, my parents gave me a rule. My parents were quite strict, so they had uh, a strict rule that I wasn't allowed to date until I was 30. I know, it's a bit ridiculous. <laughs> like, who who does that, you know? But having said that, I think a lot of adults are, are quite anxious about young people dating when they're, you know, still in school. What's your thoughts about that?
1: I think it's fine. I mean, I think that it's just a matter of balance. It's the same way as if, like, you had a really good friend and you <laughs> spend a lot of time with them. Like, I, I don't think it's any... Any different from that. I, th- I guess there is some amount of like emotional mental distraction if you're like spending a lot of time agonizing over like when they'll text or something. But, again, I think it really depends on, like, the maturity of the person in a relationship, the relationship itself. If it's, like, a relationship that's full of anxiety, then it's probably not a healthy relationship to begin with. But if it's just something that makes you happy, makes you a better person, then I don't necessarily think that there's anything wrong with that. I think it's as much a part of, like, a balanced lifestyle as having strong friendships or, like, having some fun outside of school and stuff like that. Yeah, my parents were always pretty okay with it for the most part, yeah.
0: So in this time when all of us, you know, where schools sort of suspended and we're not able to socialize more than having four people, you know, in the same room or at the same table, like how do you think that's affecting your social life or your peers' social life?
1: I think it's affecting everyone's social life. I mean, it's difficult to have a social life right now, but in some ways I'm trying to be as optimistic as possible about it because there's no point being pessimistic and just like being really upset about not being able to meet people. But (laughs) I think that uh, it's just a matter of you can't meet people face to face, you can't have deeper conversations, you don't get to explore new places or do new things. So all of that stuff I think is something that everyone faces um, in some level of like cabin fever. On the other hand, I have more time to spend with my family now that my sister's back. More time with her, I get more time for myself, which I think I don't usually carve out in my schedule, being like a very busy person. So that's another you know nice thing to have. Calling my friends from other countries and now calling friends and university and stuff so kind of getting involved in communities that i probably wouldn't have otherwise got involved in so i think that there's a silver lining to every situation so this whole social distancing thing perhaps can be some sort of a, a way to like meet new people connect in new ways and like be innovative with technology and that like i'll still skype my friends most nights and stuff and and meet people in small safe doses but i like i don't think it's there's anyone in this world who it hasn't greatly affected their social life.
0: Speaking of technology, are most of your classes on some sort of online platform? What, What are you guys using now?
1: So we use Zoom and we do like 75 minute lessons and we follow the same bell schedule that we did in school, although most teachers don't necessarily fill up the full 75 minutes and then like other platforms like Schoology or Quizlet, uh, I think teachers are, are really heroes at this time and that they're being very creative with online learning tools because the training for like a virtual school teacher is very different than that of a physical but most of my teachers have been very very adaptive and very creative with the ways that they're transitioning the school to a virtual platform
0: Yeah, that's really cool, I mean I, I almost want to ask you this question because it sounds like you've been exposed to lots of different situations and countries and cultures But if you could kind of come up with one way to redo all of this and maybe not just within your school, but for like all schools in Hong Kong with varying degrees of resources for technology and adaptability, you know, how would you respond, you know, to to tell teachers how to help you guys during this time?
1: I think that's a difficult thing that, in my situation, I'm very privileged that I have a school that's able to kind of work this out in a way that that's very effective for everyone. But I understand that there's not, like a lot of local schools in particular don't necessarily have students with households who have like personalized computers for every member of the family. And with like parents working from home, one computer can't serve everyone. So I think that in this time, it's important that two things, one that like the government is taking action to mitigate some of the harms that people have when they don't have the same access to technology so that there isn't as much of a gap because I think like the wealth and privilege gap already has its set of issues there's no need to exacerbate that by creating some sort of like barrier to entry so I think that the government well different governments are handling that in different ways but the other thing is that corporations themselves I think have a responsibility also to be a little bit more considerate in this time and like zoom for example has removed like the 45 minute limit for pretty much all schools I think which I think is again like a very responsible thing to do in this time period because it's not really an appropriate time period to be trying to capitalize on people's like inability to like access technology or something so i think that those are definitely things that like i wouldn't necessarily say that the government should intervene and push for those but i think that on corporations own accord to be doing that it's just a socially responsible thing to be doing and then education school like systems themselves stuff like college board or like the ib board i don't take ib but i'm assuming that's what it is i think like canceling those exams and stuff again while it's unfortunate and while it's not ideal of course because I think testing is a good way to understand learning and stuff. There's also some sort of like distinction that you need to make between now and ordinary times. And in ordinary times, testing would be the most important thing, but in in, in the situation of school and stuff, but right now I would say that, you know, public safety and public health is definitely more important than like taking an AP test. So those sorts of institutions, working to cancelling or making it online and shorter, I think that's also a responsible thing to be doing.
0: That's cool. I mean, it, it sounds also like you know what you're saying is that it's a mix of policy, but also in terms of down to the individual sort of how teachers and educators can actually connect with students as well, right?
1: Yeah, I think that everything... Everything in this world is political, but it also is a matter of like individual responsibility. And if we constantly like put the burden on someone else to take it, if if Zoom were to say that it's not our responsibility, we still need to make money, even though their stocks are skyrocketing. Then it, it, the world really wouldn't function as well as it can. So I think more than ever in a time like this, it's important for people and institutions and individuals to be responsible for themselves and for the recognize like the privilege that they provide to other people.
0: So, I mean, you mentioned uh, individual responsibility. I think something that we've been hearing from a lot of young people in in Hong Kong is that they're starting to feel, I mean, for us, it's been over a month now of online school uh, compared to the rest of the world. I think a lot of people have been starting to say that they're not as motivated. They're really struggling to kind of be more disciplined. You know, what would you say has helped you kind of keep on track in quotation marks?
1: I I mean, I definitely fell off track a little bit. Like, I I don't think anyone's as motivated. It's just difficult to be motivated when you're online all day. But there's a number of like psychological things that I think help if you. Um, there's a lot of studies on like keeping your workspace clean and using like a consistent workspace and getting dressed in the morning stuff. Small stuff like that I do think makes a difference.
0: Is um, that stuff that you do?
1: Occasionally, like on the days that I'm feeling motivated, I will. I, I can't say that I do it every day, but there have been a two week period where I like really want to just get my life together and I try to do those things every day. But I mean everyone has certain days where they just wanna lay around in bed. And so I think it's all about balance, right? If you expect yourself to go and be as diligent in your studies or at work or whatever as you would in normal situation, it, it probably probably won't pan out just because there's so many more distractions at home, at least for me. Like what? Like Netflix and Facebook and social media and just like the opportunity to lay in bed, which just doesn't really exist when you're moving around in school and stuff.
0: What kind of social media has been distracting you?
1: Really everything. I think like I actually really didn't spend as much time on Instagram or Snapchat or whatever. On a normal school day, I'd probably check it twice maybe until I got home and then I tend to spend more time on it but now it's like during class it's so much easier to like tune the teacher out and start scrolling through facebook or something um, and i think it takes a, like, a lot of self-control to not do those things so i understand why people are feeling less motivated and stuff and i think it's also important that we, we keep stressing how it's like important to stay motivated and like stay on track and stuff but i also think it's important to like cut ourselves some slack and like realize that we're not going to be as motivated every single day so if we want to do work from bed one day like that's fine as long as it's not like a daily kind of slump of a human being that you become that is probably fine (laughs)
0: Okay, so quotes of today, you know, uh, from a heck is don't become a slump of a human being, but allow yourself one or two of those every single week, right? I
1: think
0: that's important, (laughs) for sure. So just with, you know, everything that's happening, you know, globally around the world, but also here in Hong Kong, what has this virus period kind of gotten you thinking about? Is this something that a particular thought or something that has really come to mind as you have more time to reflect?
1: Um, I think two things. One on like a more personal smaller spectrum is that like it's definitely difficult not to feel very disappointed and very like just frustrated with how everything pans out with uh, prom, potentially graduation, all these like big events in our life being canceled. And what's especially frustrating is that of course there's much bigger consequences to the virus. There's a lot of like, you know, the economy is crashing and people are dying and there's there's so much bigger impacts that it feels very superficial to be like oh no my promise cancels but then I think it's also important to remember that like we're all human and we're going to be most saddened by the things that affect us the most and for me like that's stuff like like the big events in my life being canceled the potential of not going to college in August stuff like that so I think it's not necessarily a bad thing to be feeling upset about those things as long as you keep the bigger picture in mind so that's one thing that like it's gotten me thinking about it's just about how like I do want to be very grateful like I, I would have appreciated graduation regardless but now if we have graduation like I will really savor that moment just because it's something that I'm like really holding on to the same way if we ever go back to school I don't think I'm going to be like oh I want to be out of school because I can't wait to go back to school kind of a thing so it's just like a certain level of gratitude the kind of thing that like you don't miss it until it's gone has really never been truer But the second thing is, like, it's definitely got me thinking about politics in general and how it's interesting how a public health concern, you would think that that's not a partisan issue at all and it's just something that, like, globally we can agree that needs to be stopped and handled in a certain way. But that's evidently not been the case and it's evidently been turned into something, in some cases, some level of, like, social, you know, racism and stuff towards a certain demographic. And beyond that, just general, like, a lot of, like, political conflict that... I probably wouldn't have anticipated because it seems like when you have a pandemic and a deadly virus, you would think that like, the global response would be pretty unified in that let's stop the virus, let's stop the death. But that's clearly not been the case with every country handling it so differently and every country being very scrutinizing of the way other countries are handling it. So the global international relations and politics and the effect on that has also been something that's, I would say, kind of disappointing to see, especially in the U.S., kind of known as like the leader of the free world and stuff, to see their response to it is also, I would say, probably kind of disappointing. But at the same time, I have to recognize I'm coming from sort of like the Asian perspective, not necessarily living in the U.S., not necessarily Necessarily as involved in the politics there, so I don't necessarily know that I have the right to comment on that. Yeah.
0: So as we wrap up, it's been really fascinating talking to you. You have a lot of really great thoughts um, on not just you know yourself, but also the things that are around you and the city here in Hong Kong as well. And so as we wrap up, is there something that you'd like to share, maybe just from all the things that you've experiences so far and in your time here in Hong Kong? What is something that you would say to another young person who is also living here in the city at this time?
1: I think everyone has different advice to offer and I'm sure whoever hears this could give me advice so it'd be good but I think mine would probably just be to be very grateful for the moments that you do have and to really like enjoy those because it does sometimes feel like the time that we have like outside is limited or something or like never would I be so excited to just come to Central and have a cup of coffee kind of a thing but maybe in some ways like it's it's a nice way to be a little bit more grateful for the things in our life and also definitely grateful for the people who kind of go unnoticed people who have to continue running local businesses definitely medical workers teachers just a lot of people who are like dealing with a lot of financial crises and just personal dilemmas just being grateful for everything around us i think it's important and it increases like
0: personal happiness too so well thank you so much mehek for joining us today thank you for having me it's really interesting all right see you soon bye thanks for listening this Hong Kong Life is an initiative of Kelly Support Group. We are a youth organization empowering young people to reach their full potential in Hong Kong. If you like the show, please subscribe and get new episodes every week. We would love to hear from you. Nominate yourself or a friend to share next. Or drop us a note at hklife at kely.org. That's Hong Kong Life at kelly.org. See you next time!